right, good morning, church, and happy new year to you. Great to be back with you today. Do me a, fi- a favor, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. It's where we're going to be in our meditation of the Word this morning. And while you're turning there, let me give you uh, a couple of things. Next week, we are go- going to begin a, a two-week series in this new year, um, a two-week series on the prodigal son, uh, the, the parable shared by Jesus and the New Testament. We're going to do that. We're going to go through that for two two weeks. And um, do you know anybody that's become distant from God? Uh, maybe a family member or a friend, uh, maybe distant from the church. Uh, the next two weeks will be a, a really great time to invite them. I believe the Lord's going to make a very loving, respectful, graceful appeal to those who may have been away from him to return home. And so join me in praying for that. But also, if you know someone, it would be great to, to have them here during that series. We're going to kick that off next week. Uh, but next, also I want to let you know, the Israel trip is looking great. We've got 32 people registered to go this June. We're going to Israel to walk the footsteps of the Lord in that place. It's going to be incredible. If you want to go, it's online. Go check it out. We do have some spots available, but the deadlines are coming up pretty soon, next month or so. And so you need to hurry if you're going to do that. But on January the 29th, you are going to have a very special blessing. Do not miss January 29th. Bring everybody you know. Life groups be a big campaign. You want to be here on Sunday morning, the 29th. Aaron Lavarca, who is our tour guide, uh, he is a born Jew in New Zealand. So he's got this crazy cool accent. You just like to hear him talk, kind of like Pastor Harley out of Utah. He's got a great accent, but he became a Christ follower. Moved to Israel and been doing for 25 years or so, been doing tours with Christians in Israel and unpacking the Holy Lands for Christians for so long. A man of God, a man of the word, deep understanding of the word. He is going to be here on Sunday morning, the 29th, to preach. And so you don't want to miss that word because it's good. Uh, But that afternoon on both the Dripping Springs and the South Austin campus, he is going to lead a Seder, if you've never been through a Passover meal, with a Messianic Jew perspective brought to it, um, with all the elements and the food and all the stuff. It's a meal, Um, but it's uh, where we get the Lord's Supper, but he's going to take us through uh, the Passover meal, and it's a a wonderful experience. It'll be that afternoon on this campus. I think it'll be 4, 4.30. I'll give you more information about that, but he's going to lead one for Dripping Springs at like 2, and then one here at like 4, 4.30, so I know you'll pick one based on when the Cowboys are playing and all that, so um, if you want to go, but there will be two available options, but just Put January 29th, and just don't miss church on that day, y'all. I'm just telling you now. It's going to be a great blessing. All right, today we are looking at the parable of the sower. Months ago, felt a very strong impulse, uh, I believe, from the Lord to go to this text and really unpack it and for all of us. And so uh, I, the first available Sunday I could find was this one to plan it. I believe there's a great blessing in this for us. I know there's always a blessing when you open God's Word. I know. But... A real, a real particular blessing from the Lord this morning. I hope it is that for, for you. But let me read Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to read from 3 to 9. I'm going to skip the middle part for obvious reasons. You'll see it later. And then I'm going to go to 18 to 23. Okay? So Matthew 13, 3 to 9, and then 18 to 23. Just follow along with me. It'll be on the screen for you. Then he told them many things in parables, saying... A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, 
and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, so it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they were withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? Father, we just uh, sit here with our Bibles in our laps and our hearts, our hearts open to you. And Lord, as the text even says, would you give us ears to hear? Would you give our hearts understanding? Would you empower us by your Spirit, enlighten us and empower us by your Spirit to receive the Word fully, to let it have its place in all that we are, and therefore to live fully fruitful lives for you. So that's our prayer. Unpack this text. Guide our meditation. Holy Spirit, take us where you want us to go. Make us what you want us to be. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, in this new year, everyone thinking about resolutions, uh, you know, it's a good time for refocus in our lives, getting back on track, if you will, um, and even thinking about even spiritual growth. And in the Christian life, the good thing is that spiritual growth is not something that you go out and produce. Um, uh, spiritual growth is actually something that happens in your heart as you relinquish and receive and surrender and submit and allow the Spirit of God and the Word of God to have its way with you and do in you what, it's, it's what it does, and that is change you and grow you. Uh, that's what Christian growth is really all about. It's more about that than anything. But I believe this parable is really what it's, what it's all about. Really, it's all about Christian growth and the experience of growing and experience of relinquishing your heart, relinquishing all that you are to the Lord and letting Him grow you. It's about the pathway of a flourishing spiritual life, the pathway to a flourishing spiritual life. And you know, the entire Bible really is written to an aggregate society, um, a farming community, villages that grew things to eat. And they were very familiar with seed and soil and water and sun and fruit and plants and all of that sort of thing. I think that you and I are as well, although many people don't know where most of the stuff in the grocery store comes from. I'm just going to say that in our society. Am I right? However, um, I think that we can at least understand the general principles here. That the seed is the Word of God, Jesus even tells us. that We have the privilege, you know, many parables, Jesus never unpack them. We're just left 
to interpretation, and the interpretations can be vast in their range. Uh, but this one, he closes us in, and he explains exactly what this parable means and what he intends it to mean. And so we can just unpack it very practically this morning because of that, and that's a great blessing. And he just, you can clearly see that he says that the seed is the Word of God. And the Word, we can say, is the Gospel, the Word of Jesus, the Word of God, the Bible, all of it, everything that God has to say to us as human beings, that would be all classified in the Word, and that's the seed. The soil where the seed lands is the hearts of men. That the kingdom of God doesn't grow through force and external uh, coercion or anything like that. The kingdom advances by going into the ears and into the heart and then doing something in the heart of man like a seed does in the ground. It begins to produce something in the heart. And that is what Jesus is talking about where the hearts of men are changed, the lives of men are changed. And therefore, and you've seen an expression of that even this morning in a beautiful way, that the heart and the life of men are changed. The kingdom advances in this fashion. Weak thing, not a strong thing, a, a weak thing. It's a word. It's listening to communication and letting that have its way in you. And so a life totally impacted where the seed comes in and have its total way, freedom to have all of you and all of your life and everything aligned with that word, and you give over everything to that word at all points of who you are, that is the place of spiritual flourishing according to Jesus in this parable. It's an abundant life. It's an abundant walk with God. It's a fruitful life, a life that matters to the kingdom purposes of God on the earth. And good will result in that heart and in that life when it's yielded fully to the Word of God. And this principle isn't like a new thing in Jesus' day. This is something that you can see clearly uh, evidenced in Psalm chapter 1, the first psalm. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and day and night. And then verse 3 is the illustration of what that's like when a person meditates on the word all the time, makes the life attention that they have rooted deeply in the word. Well, this is it. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all he does, he prospers. And so you see this language of the word of God being a power being a source of life and fruitfulness and flourishing. And as it roots deeply into the heart, as a person receives it, life comes forth. And even supernatural sustaining power in hard seasons of life comes from rootedness in the Word. Does your soul feel dry? we leave it right there for a second. Um, Do you find that when you go to church and there's a call to a spiritual discipline or more church attendance or more prayer or more Bible study that it feels exhausting to you? I know I have had those seasons. And if that's the case, it might be an indicator that you're dry. For whatever reason that you may be dry. Like another thing that you're being asked to do on top of a pile of things you're asked to do by the world out there. And it's just another thing and it's just exhausting. Uh, If you've ever felt that, I have too. And that's the very moment that you need to reorient your life attention 
You need to ask big questions about your heart and your soul. What you are focused on. What you are listening to. What you are allowing to control your heart. If you feel that, it's time to stop and to think and to listen deeply. And he gives the illustration of four souls here. Four hearts. Four people. Four listeners. And let me briefly clarify. I'm walking through with you here. First one is the pathway here he talks about. The seed, the word of God, falls on the pathway. Um, He he uses it in the parable in verse 4. And then he explains it in verse 19. And this is the person that he basically says, I don't know and I don't care. This is their spiritual posture toward the word of God. It is hard on the surface for whatever reason. We can call it spiritual blindness, and we know that's an absolute truth in the New Testament. It could be just that he's just discerning, just has no interest and no discernment spiritually. Um, just, but whatever reason, is just totally resistant to God's word from the beginning. The door at the front, the door at the entryway is shut and locked. The seed doesn't get in. The seed doesn't do what a seed does because it never gets in. And there's no effect of life-producing, flourishing by the Word of God in the heart because it never gets there. That there's a problem with entry level and the hearing and the processing of the heart. And there's lots of reasons for a pathway kind of heart, honestly. But when a heart is hard like this, it doesn't receive impact. It has no movement and no life-giving power or a result from the word of God it's hard and the effects of that will be the consequence in that heart for its hard condition the second one is rocky ground he calls it stony ground rocky ground depending on your translation verse 5 and 6 is when he uses in the parable verse 20 and 21 is his explanation and these are the people that man they do actually take in the word. And it begins to have some life-producing effects in their heart. They begin to feel things. They begin to feel life happen in them. Something begins to grow. Something begins to happen. But they get to a point where they say, I quit. And Jesus is clear on why they quit. But they basically say, all right, enough of this. I had some things, but now I'm out. I didn't sign up for this. This is not what I expected. I didn't know I was signing up for this, whatever it might be. Expectations aren't met. This is different than what I thought, whatever it might be. And they go back and they fall away, he says. Basically, that means they go back to the world in which they, the, the, the ways that they lived before. The, the effects begin to happen in their heart. And he says it's two things that cause this. Hardships in life, pain, situations, and persecution of other people cause that. And then when those things happen, they say, whoa, and they react in those moments in a way where they say, I didn't want this, I don't like this, this is painful, and I'm going to go back to the way I was living. And then thorns. Verse 7 is in the parable, verse 22 is the explanation, and that's people who are just too busy. They have life wearing them thin on the heart, on the inside. They are worried and upset about many things like Martha in the kitchen and then Mary chosen what's better. Y'all know the story, but they are the Martha. They are worried and upset about a lot of things in life and it's driving them in their heart. Many things of the world and the material things are just consuming them and driving them. They are, they are too busy to let the word like have its way totally. It's like this 
this sort of divided heart where life is driving me and then I give the word a little bit and then these two, but the word never really has its full effect because the, world, the, the worries of the world and the life are really just choking it out. And you can think of this person as the malnourished in the word. That, that the growth of the seed is being malnourished in two ways. That the soul is having nutrients sucked away by other stronger plants called thorns. And then the sun is getting choked that brings life because the thorns are covering it. And so the thorns are growing. Other things are growing around it. And the big operative phrase here is competing forces in the heart. There's a competing force in the heart to the word of God having its total way. And Jesus says these are those who receive the word. The word begins to do what it does in their heart and life. But the worries of this life and the temptation of wealth cause the word in them to be malnourished to the degree that it can't really grow and produce total spiritual flourishing and the fruit that he's talking about. And then you have the good soil, right? And this is in verse 8, and it's explained in verse 23. And that's the people who have let the word over time have all of them, and the fruit has done has deep roots so it can handle hard seasons in life. And it also is producing fruit now because it has plenty of nutrients. It's not competing with other things, and there's this life that's coming to this thing. And that's uh, depth of soil, plenty of nutrients, plenty of sun. And geez, these are those who produce varying degrees of flourishing. They actually produce varying degrees of flourishing, uh, 100, 60, and 30. So he doesn't seem to have a problem with how much flourishing, how much fruit. He just says they're fruit bearers. They bear, and some a little more than others, but they all are in that range of good soil. They have a good result in their heart. And these hearers are focused, devoted, perseverant, consistently having the word shape everything in their hearts and in their lives, and it makes its way to every aspect of their lives, and they produce fruit. And they're, they're kind of epitomized in Jesus' phrase in Matthew 6, that says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then he says, And all these things, the worries of life, the, the stuff you're chasing after, the, the things you really want to have and happen in life, the success for your kids, the job, the promotion, getting into the college, being accepted by others, all, all these other things come after Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things are added to you. These hearers do that. They do that. They seek it first. And they give their first life attention, God and his word. And as they do, every time they run into something that may hinder it, they get that thing out of the way, and they let the word have its total way. Uh, this is just the idea. Now, here's what this parable really is saying. Here's one thing I really want to point out. I'm going to look at I'm going to put the quote up here. Jesus is saying that the life of spiritual flourishing is not, and I will say always, an easy pathway. It's not always an easy pathway. Do you all see that? He's saying that the life of spiritual flourishing does have its challenges, does have its challenges. The word does produce joy and peace, and we have incredible, powerful, spiritual uh, benefits in the heart uh, with reconnecting with God and in a relationship with God and wisdom that comes, and I can see things I've never seen before. I have power, I have joy and peace, and all the fruit of the Spirit, and all these things are awesome to experience. Um, but spiritual growth and that pathway to spiritual flourishing 
is riddled with seasons of hardship, testing, opposition, hard things, hard things to engage with. And it's not hard happenings, and it's actually not com complicated. It's actually really simple in those moments. What you're wrestling with, the answer is simple, but yet it's not an easy thing to do. It's impossible to do in your own power, but the, the answer is simple, but it's not an easy thing. There's a fork in the road, and we get in this, for, in this, this place in our heart where it's a difficulty, where it calls for great trust or great obedience or surrender, and that is what Jesus is saying is hard. But look what he says in Matthew 7. This is not a new thing for Jesus either. Matthew chapter 7, 13 to 14, he even said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy. Okay? That leads to destruction. All right? So none of us want to go there. Right? Pretty simple stuff. We don't want to go that way. But everybody chooses the easy path. Right? And that's what Jesus says. I'm telling you, the masses would love to go down the easy path. Things that are done for them. We would all like that, right? He says, and those entered by it are many. But in verse 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard. So don't think that Jesus don't bait and switch with you. He has told you the way is But where does it go? Life. What is life? It's the thing you want more than anything else in this world, and you're chasing it through all kinds of different things. It's what you're after. It's the thing you're after. It's heaven. Life. Life is what you're wanting by every pursuit you have. It's that. That's what you're after. And he's saying, getting to that, it's hard. It's narrow. It's not easy. It's hard, but it leads to life. It does take you to flourishing. I will take you there. But you will go through some things that will be difficult on the way. Are you all with me? Okay. So it's hard. One way we tend to think about the parable of the soils is that you think of them as four different types of people. Okay? And that's not wrong because Jesus even mentions these are four different types of hearers. People. And we begin to kind of start the process as you hear it. What it's supposed to produce in you is the thing to go, which one am I? How many of you have done that? Well, if you did, you're listening well. So I'm going to give you another shot. How many of you have been thinking, which one am I? Okay, none of you are listening well. That's awesome. But you are supposed to be thinking, which soil am I? And there's a problem with that, isn't there? The problem with it is... I think I'm all of them in some way or other. So one way to think about this parable is not necessarily which soil am I or categorizing all of humanity into one of these four types of people. But another way to think about this is to think of it in linear, sequential, sort of seasonal fashion. This is principles of spiritual growth. What happens on the pathway to spiritual flourishing because I would venture to say that everything mentioned in all four of the soils you and I have experienced at one point in our life right 
I know for certain I was hard pan pathway heart at one point in my life. My parents drug me to church, and y'all know how much impact the Word of God had on me? Zero. It wasn't because the preaching wasn't good. Because I didn't care. I wanted what I wanted in the world. And that's what drove me. I was spiritually totally blind. Hard pan. I had that. And then something happened. I actually heard one day, right? And all of a sudden now I'm in another soil. And then you know what? I'm growing and then I have to face the fear of man in my life. And guess what I'm in now? I'm in the second soil. I'm growing and I have the temptation to fall away and go, wait a minute, this is painful. I have a hardship in my life. I have some pain come into my life. All of a sudden now I'm in the second soil. I get through those things. Now, you know what? How many of you ever had struggled with a chasing after wealth? Don't you lie. Don't you lie. We all have at some point felt this. We have felt it. Whether it's early in our career and we're heading up that ladder quick and we're like, man, I am going to be on easy street pretty soon. This is going to be so awesome. You know when you're driving down the road, you know, and you're in your little measly car. And you look over and you see that Tesla, and you go, man, that's living. No gas bill. No electric. I mean, if I made a little more money, if I got that job, I could have that house with that car. And you know that flashed through your soul, and you had no problem with it. Y'all know you've had that happen. Guess what soil you just entered into? You're the third soil, right? I mean, we all, at probably at many times in our life, we go through seasons where we find ourselves in the soil of testing. That's just how I want to unpack it with you this morning. And I want to share with you five spiritual testing seasons that I see here that all of us will probably face. And there's also principles of what to do in that season also contained in the text. So first, five, test number one, prejudice. When you're in the testing season of prejudice, in other words, prejudice just means to prejudge. I have already made up my mind before I even listen about something. And this is people that have made up their mind about Christianity before they actually listen to it and consider its validity. I've already made up my mind. And that's the hard pan heart. Whether it's spiritual darkness, spiritual blindness, or just a open, known, I know all about that. I've heard about that. My parents told me not to pay attention to all that. I've seen you guys on the news, and I don't want anything to do with y'all. I've already made up my mind. I don't have to listen. I've already made up my mind. And this is that. What questions should you ask if you find yourself in this morning and you just somehow be bopped up in here and that's you? You need to ask the question, what if it's true? You want to pass the test of the season you're in, you need to ask, what if it's true? What if it's true? What if I'm the one that is obstinate? What if I'm the one that's hard? What if I'm the one? What if I can't see? I was listening to Rosaria Butterfield's testimony, a tenured professor at Syracuse University. She was an atheist and she was doing a whole research project as a professor on Christianity and her whole attempt was to help Christians understand how crazy they are. I know she wouldn't say it that way, that's my interpretation, but she was seeking to know what Christianity is about so that she could help them think differently. Okay, we'll just say it that way. 
The problem is she started doing her research and she started interviewing a pastor and his wife with their next door neighbor. And she started having interviews with them to kind of find out what makes these people tick. Why are they so crazy? Let me find out why they tick. And the problem she ran into is she started listening. And what happens when you start listening to the word? Whoa, what is that? Something started happening in her. Today, I call her a prophetess, preacher of the gospel. Like she is a radically devoted follower of Christ, facing incredible persecution um, and, and hardships and all kinds of things. And she's a, a wonderful thing. Look it up. Rosaria Butterfield, listen to her testimony. But this is what she said. Listen to this. In her testimony, she says, she was talking to one of her friends about the interview she was doing with this pastor and his wife. And the friend came to her and said, hey, you need to be careful. You need to stop that because Christianity has power. It changes people. You know that, right? And this is her atheist friend telling her, hey, you're messing with fire. Be chill out because it's going to change you. And she said in that very moment, she found herself responding to this friend named Jay. And she said this, with tremors, I whispered, Jay, what if it's true? What if Jesus is a real and risen Lord? And this is a funny perspective. What if we are all in trouble? What if it's not them? What if it's us? What if it's me? The question needs to be asked, what if it's true? What if it's true? What if I'm the one that's on the outside, not the inside? The test for the pathway individual is the test of abandoning, abandoning prejudice. You know how hard it is to abandon something that you've already determined is right in your own mind? Do you know how difficult that is? Do you know how long a process it is for someone to abandon what they've already made up in their mind is right? That's a hard thing to do. But you need to ask, what if it's true and you need to listen? And if that listening leads you somewhere and you begin to experience something, you must, as a true truth seeker, follow where it takes you. That's all you ask to pass that, that season test. The test number two, pain. Pain. Jesus said, difficulties in life come along. This, this person received the word, they begin to grow, and all of a sudden a, a hardship comes into life, and perhaps even tragic, grievous, horrible thing happens in their life. Pain enters in from left field, and all of a sudden I, in my walk with the Lord, of all the good things I was feeling, all the things that he was doing, now I'm questioning him because this is painful. How could he allow it? Or does he even exist? And the question you need to ask in that moment and let it guide you through it, to whom else shall we go? Pain in life causes many to walk away from Christ. But guess what? Pain in life also causes many to walk to Christ. When the hardships of life crash in on Christians, many conclude he must not care or he doesn't exist at all. And when the hardships of life crash in on unbelievers, many of them conclude there has to be more. Surely this life can't be hopeless like this. Surely there's hope somewhere. In pain, Christians should ask, to whom else should we go? Who else are we going to go to? Peter said this in John 6, 68. 
Jesus was teaching some strange things about eating his body and drinking his blood. They thought he was talking about cannibalism. He didn't even explain it. He let them think that, and they all started walking away. He turns to his disciples, and he says, do you want to leave too? And Peter very smartly said this very to him. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. In other words, I have seen you raise the dead. I have seen you do miracles. You're the one that says you're from God. You're the providing me eternal life the hope of eternal life. I've seen you do things that I can't deny, but in what you might be saying, I don't understand it. It seems really weird. I could see why other people would walk away, but I have to trust you because I've seen what you've done. And I have to trust you. That is the posture of a heart that's going through pain. I don't understand why this happened in my life. I don't understand how to reconcile that with your nature. And I can't think of a good reason why this would have happened in my life. But just because I can't think of a good reason doesn't mean there isn't one. And I have to trust you because you're the only one that actually gives me hope beyond this life and makes this pain less significant and actually means something. If I walk away here and I go become an atheist because of pain, trust me, friend. Your unanswered questions about God in your pain, you take a whole bunch, you add a whole bunch more of unanswered questions in your atheism with your pain. Now it doesn't even matter. Now your pain is the way it is. Suck it up, buttercup. There's no hope. There's no reason for the pain. It's just happening. You enter into a whole nother whole string of problems over here that you are not prepared to handle. At least with Christ, even if you don't understand, even if you don't understand it, at least you have the promise and the hope one day that this matters. And there is a good reason because I trust him. Why? Because he's shown me into my heart that he's real. And I can trust him. And I don't know why. And in the confusion, I'm still, I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust. To whom else shall I go? Where else will I go to help me with pain? Where else are you going to go that has real answers for your pain? Find better answers than Christianity anywhere. There's not one. They only get worse. I, I got on a tear. And I just found out that I am way over time. So we're going to have to make this part two next week. Y'all good with that? You're like, no. Um, can I just move fast? Or y'all you'll hold back the hunger pains for just a little bit? Test number three. Persecution, whom shall I fear? Is that one kind of obvious? If you walk with Christ, you need to be kind and gracious and loving to every person, even the ones who hate you. You need to represent him well. Don't go out and create your own persecution. Peter says that. Don't go out and cause trouble and then say, they're persecuting me like Jesus said. What? Stop it. Quit being, hitting people in the face and acting like a jerk. And then saying the persecution is of Christ. No, no, no. But you will be persecuted if you try to follow Christ in your heart as best you can. You will live your life upstream. You will live your life uphill, wind in your face. There will be an opposition to you. It will come sooner or later where you will have to take your stand. And it will be, you will face the fear of rejection from other people. You will face hardships and consequences materially, socially, relationally with people because you're true to Christ. That is going to happen. There's no way to avoid it. In that moment, you need to ask, 
who will I fear? Who am I going to fear? Am I going to fear God that I want to stay committed to, or am I going to fear men who are limited, who are made by God? That's what Jesus even says in Luke chapter 12, verse 4 to 5. He says this, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body. It's the worst thing you can face is to kill the body. The worst thing you can face, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, I don't know if that encourages you a lot. Because I know it, it didn't me. because you kind of want to not fear. I don't want to fear. I want him to say, don't fear him who can kill your body because God will take away the fear. That's what I wanted him to say. You know, this other one's like, oh boy, the choice is like, mm, you got to fear one or the other. You know, okay, well, where would courage be if I didn't have fear? What kind of test is it if I'm not really having to pick who I'm going to trust in this moment? And would you believe it? That when you are persecuted most, God is using you most as light in the dark world. When you are persecuted most, he's using you most. And you have to trust. Yes, the hardship is hard. But man, this is how God works. He might even use my suffering to proclaim his name and power and do a great work for the kingdom. Who would the question you need to ask in the persecution when it comes to, I have a friend that just won't invite me to the party because I'm a Christian, or all the way to I've lost my job because I'm a Christian, or I might get arrested and killed in a country somewhere because I'm a Christian. All of those things, lump them together and ask, who shall I fear? I will not fear. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I will not have the fear of man. I will trust in the Lord. Test number four, preoccupation. And the question you need to ask is, can I add one hour to my life? Can I? Add one hour to my life, and that comes straight from Jesus. Jesus says, the worries of this life grab their attention and take it away from the word, and it chokes out the word in their life. And Jesus uses this in the Sermon on the Mount, these questions. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? And this is not actual questions asked out loud. All right? This is questions people have in their heart. Well, what shall I eat? Now, I ask that question every meal for the next meal, all right? So, but what shall we eat in the sense of how will I provide for my own body? What, what shall we drink? What shall we wear? The question in your heart, can I modernize it? Let me modernize the question in your heart about our modern context. Will I be accepted? Will I make the grades? Am I good enough? Do I have what it takes? Will I survive COVID? What do they think about me? Am I lovable? Do I fit in? How will I retire? Will my kids be successful? Am I a good parent? You know, I can ask questions all day, right? And these are questions in your heart. And you can get to a place where these questions, you're asking these questions so rapidly in your heart that it is driving you to do what you do in life. And it has the agenda. And it's, it's wearing you out. And you are exhausted. It's called the worries of this life. And it's in here. It's not out there. It's in here. Same stuff happened out there. One person can be completely at peace and not have this driving them, and the other person can have it driving them. Same stuff. 
Same stuff. So it's really in here. Do you have an anxious heart? Anxious and worried and upset about many things that are happening in the world. And are you being driven in your life? Get up early. Go to bed late. Why? I want to be successful. I want to be seen as X. I want to do X. Go and do part of this party with his friends. Why? Because I want to be accepted. And I want to, what am I being driven by? And Jesus said, that's the worries of this life. And it chokes me. Because I don't want my people worrying and fretting about things that I have control of. You are thinking that you got to go out there and do something. And I'm telling you all you need is me. And rest and drink in your soul my presence, my peace. Know that I have you, that you're my child. You cannot lose. You don't need to fret about those things. You're going to be busy in life. You're going to do a lot of things in life. You're going to go to work. You're going to raise your kids. You're going to do a lot of things. But don't you dare worry. I have you. I have you. Rest. You're going to be busy. I'm not talking about busy. Rest your soul. Trust me. Because that's the problem. You're trusting what you think you've got to do to get where you want to go. And all you need to do is really trust me because I have you. I have you. You trust in you or you trust in me? Because that's what it's really about. That's what it's really about. The worries of this life. Choke it out. And Jesus asked in Matthew 6, 27, Can any one of you, by worrying... Add a single hour to your life. Can you add the length of your life by worrying? And can you add the quality of your life by worrying? Jesus says, answer that question for me. You think you can increase the quality of your life by sitting there and being worn thin by anxiety and worrying about it and trusting yourself? You think you can add quality to your life? More than me. You think you can? You know the answer. But when you start feeling it, that's the question and that's the test. Can I add the length of my life by worrying about it? Can I add the quality of my life by worrying about it? No. Well, how can I do that? I can go to the one who gave me life. And I can rest in him and I can trust him and fruit, fruit comes and I can actually live it full. Test number five, possessions. What do I really gain? What's the other chasing out there that chokes the word? It's chasing the money. And you know I do. You see the Tesla and you go, man, that's really living. And it's a lie. It's an electric car. I'm just kidding. No. It's, I'm just a joke. I actually like Teslas, uh, but the thought, the thought in your mind that looks at that house, that looks at those people, that looks at that thing, that looks at that social media post, and you begin to think that if I get to that place, then I'll have that thing. I'll have it. If I have that money, if I have that job, I can get that stuff, I can do those things, and I'll have it. I'll have it. 
I'll have that thing in here, right? Because this is what you're really after the whole time. You're really after the experience of having all of that. And you go, if I was in that position and I was in that place and I would have, ah, and I could enjoy that and that would be, ah, and then I, and I would have the thing. It would, ha- it would be right here. And, and you know what Jesus is saying? Nope. Because you get it. And those who have been privileged enough to be able to get it, you know this. You get there and then you go, oh, but look at that. If I, then I could get the thing. And then the billion-dollar lottery, man, set for life. That's really living. That's when I would have it. That's when I would get it. I would get that thing. When I got that, I would have it. And Jesus says, if you don't have it now, you'll never get it no matter what you get. If you don't have it now, you'll never have it. Do not think contentment comes from having Do not think and do not believe that lie is deceitfulness of wealth. If you don't have that thing right now with what you have, you'll never have it down that path. How do you get that thing? God, you own it all. And you're mine. I have it all. I don't need any of this. I have you. I'm free. I can give all of it away. And I still have everything. Why? Because I have you. And you know what? I can give it all away, and I don't even have to worry. If you tell me to give it away, I can give it all away, and I can follow you, and you'll give me everything I need, and you're going to take care of me every bit of the way. Why? Because I have you, and you have everything. I trust you. I can tithe when you ask me to tithe. Why? Not just worship, but an expression that says, God, you gave me my very life. You gave me the intellect to make money. You gave me the context and the greatest economy the world has ever seen. You've given me the opportunity to have a job. You've given me the opportunity in the place where other people educated me to make me qualified to have that job and that job making this kind of income. And you gave me all of it. What do I have that I didn't receive? Nothing. Everything I have, God gave me. The opportunity, the ability, the existence, the economy, all of it, all of it comes from God. And God says, now give me back some and let's acknowledge this and let's keep your heart healthy. What is tithing? Tithing is you keeping your greedy fingers from ripping into your own money and saying it's mine. That's what tithing does. And it keeps your posture open before trusting God. That's what tithing does. It keeps your heart from being greedy. It's a spiritual discipline, but it's a test. You're going to trust you and your ability to provide for you. And you call yourself your own. And it's mine. And I'll give a little to God, and I'll give a little to them, but this is mine. No, 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 no. God, everything I have is yours. Take everything you want. Because you're giving me everything I need. I don't have to have anything. I got that thing because I have you. That's what it's all about. Y'all shouldn't have told me to keep going. I'm sorry. Are you in a particular testing season? So let me ask that question. Let's wrap it up here. Um. Hard heart, if you feel like that might be me, receive what you have heard today and just receive it and let it have its way in you. Christ died for you. He loves you. He has you here for a reason. This is not an accident. You didn't just stumble in here. Receive him. See what happens in your life and in your heart. And if anything happens and you feel something incredible, keep going with it. Keep going with it. Your stony season because of hardship and pain in your life. Where else are you going to go? Trust the Lord. He has hope. Persecution 
I will not fear. What can man do to me? Respond to him today. Thorny ground, I won't worry about the worries of this life. I will no longer let it grit my heart. I will let the Lord have my heart. It stays the same, but it doesn't have to affect me. I can rest in Christ. Deceitfulness of wealth, I have everything, Lord, I have you. Let me free me, free me from my own claws. Do that today. Let us be good soil hearers in 2023. Amen. Let's pray. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to close. I'm going to. I'm going to close in prayer. We're just going to take off the whole next song. Is that okay? And I'm going to pray. I'm going to close this. And Pastor Casey's going to come up and he's going to close this out. Let's pray together as we finish with some announcements and dismiss. Father, we thank you for just your goodness to us and your word. And um, Lord, I just pray by your Spirit. I know you always bless the preaching of your word. But I pray today, whatever. Um, person is in here and what we needed to be heard lord you would take it and apply it to the holy spirit you are ours and we are yours free us fill us give us joy and life more a little more today than yesterday because of this word and we offer that in the name of jesus and everybody said amen amen amen, amen. amen.